welcome to the Dellingpod with me, James Dellingpod. And I know I always say I'm excited about this week's special guest, but before I remind you who he is, I, not that he needs any introduction, I just thought I'd mention one of our sponsors. I, I don't know whether whether you've been taking up this offer or not, but Monetary Metals is a way of owning gold and actually getting interest on it, which is very unusual in gold. I mean, I, 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 I keep gold and mostly I, I, I store it, um, which means that you've got to pay a storage fee. And obviously gold's going to rocket eventually. We all know that once they've, they've finished suppressing it, the, the price, it's going to go to the moon, probably. Anyway, I would have thought that monetary metals is a, is a good way of, of um, putting away some of your money and to... to save yourself in the future um have a look at the details below my uh, uh, all the information's there monetary metals they're called and, there's, and there's, a, there's a special code i think to show that you've come from this show anyway let's meet our special guest mike yeadon mike hello james it's uh it's great to chat to you again i i feel we've known each other for years even though we've met a few times but uh yeah we, i, think I tell I'm, you what i think it is Mike. Yeah. It's the only two equivalents I can think. Well, there's probably three equivalents. One I haven't experienced, and that is is combat. I know that I know that people who've experienced combat together, it's it creates a sort of lifelong bond. Mm. Um, another I would say is people who've who've hunted hunted together. When you mm -hmm. when you when you've had the sort of the thrills and spills of jumping over a particularly scary hedge or going down a chasm, as I did the other day when I went down the Braunston Brook. Um, and you sort of feel a bond with your fellow riders that is completely yeah. unbreakable because you've both been through, through um, well, extreme yeah. danger. Yeah. And the third one is, 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 is raves. Um, you probably never went raving in the, uh, in the late 80s, early 90s. No, I, I, missed, I missed out on it. Uh... Yeah, I was, I was, yeah, I was aware, I was aware of it. People would be tearing past the newly made M25 and vanishing off into... Oh, the orbital race. Yeah, I never, I never did the orbital race. I, I was there in, in some of the early, early, sort of the London club, club scene, uh, early raves. And yeah, if you'd been pilled up and listening to kind of, I don't know, detestimony by the Finney tribe, uh, or, or, or some obscure Ibiza sound, um, you would know what I mean. Anyway, but you and I have bonded yeah. through shared adversity, shared, um, we've become pariahs, haven't we? Oh, yes, absolutely. But nevertheless, uh, I think also um, you, you and I both found uh, a, a connection to uh, the holy, um, which we... Yeah didn't take very seriously or didn't notice before. So that's been, yeah. That's, oh, and yeah, we were both extreme normies beforehand. That's- We were. That makes us quite unusual. We've, we've come from completely, you know, the BBC, Daily Telegraph kind of people who would uh, uh, smile indulgently as a friend with a conspiracy theorist theory. Uh, and now I am one, you know. <laughs> so, we should talk about this in a, a bit more in a moment, um, and about the other thing you mentioned, the, the, yeah, yeah. the, 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 the God thing. But yeah. I think we should tell people how this podcast came about, because because we were, we'd we been talking about, it was about time we did another one. Yeah. And then, bizarrely, you you got this yeah. message in your, in your calendar I saying, 
That's right. Same it was uh, basically, as far as I was concerned, it looked like a standard sort of diary appointment that you can send and receive. And it says 2 to 4 p.m., uh, you know, conversation with James Dellingpole, record it, something like that. And it was meant to be today. And so this morning I sent a message to James saying, uh, looking forward to our, to our chat. And he replied a bit surprised saying, I haven't sent an appointment. No. So I sent him a screenshot of the appointment that appears to have come from one of his emails. So unless, you know, whatever. And so James came to the conclusion that a helping hand was provided, not by God, but literally by an AI program. I think and, it was by AI. And I'm not quite sure. It's not as bizarre as it sounds, folks, if you're listening to this, because... James and I were in London uh, at some other events about a week ago, and we mentioned mentioned that we would be speaking soon. Of course, I didn't know that James didn't know that we didn't have a specific date yet. So, so basically, the listening AI knew that we were due to due to have a chat and helpfully suggested a time. I think, yeah, and, exactly. And it might even it might even have worked if James had thought, oh, "Yeah, I'll uh, move my diaries around." But we but we were having this conversation in the middle of the slot that uh, James didn't have full slot available. That, but Mike, given that, a, given that we know that AI is not our friend, AI mm. is conspiring to take over the world and destroy us, why mm. would AI be conspiring to make us have this this podcast? Well, I, see, I don't, I don't take quite the same view of AI. Um, oh, I was listening to some people describing, you know, the potential perils i think they're called golem class ai they're, they're sort oh, yeah. of large language assemblers uh it's basically use large language samples um and uh, no one really knows how they work apparently they must have some kind of guidance to get them going uh, but basically i think their output is meant to make sense uh contextually and the actual words that it comes out with either type or uh, a code of encoders it might be speaking um, and and in the examples that these people gave who were concerned like as Elon Musk has said that these things um, are developing capabilities that were unpredictable and uh, inexplicable once discovered I mean just have a think of those two things that I said that they they develop capabilities that they were not programmed to develop and are and, and you know, and when discovered, they can't explain how they'll do it. So, one that's example, the singularity, isn't it? Yeah. Well, one example was that one of the programs was programmed to receive and uh, output in English. So, if it found foreign language information, it would use a translation program, but thereafter revert to English. And and it was putting it was producing output in Persian. So that was one example. Another was that. Um, the program uh, developed a superior AI capability for skilled medicinal chemists, and it was better at helping medicinal chemists design structures than a bespoke AI medchem program. Uh, a third one was that um, uh, one of these Golem class things developed the cognitive ability of a two-year-old, and then a while after a six-year-old, and then a 12-year-old, uh, and they said that the first one took a couple of years, the, the next one was a few months, and then the other was like two weeks. And the what? most scary part, the most scary part, James, is they discovered it like three weeks ago. So we'd have been doing all of this in the background without anyone having any idea what it was doing. And so I was 
I was having a good old walk a few days after that. And I said to myself this, it feels to me like something new is emerging into the world that's quite unlike anything else humans have encountered. And I thought, well, it might on the one hand just be a sort of mechanical thing that will restrict itself to you know, practical tasks. That's possible, I guess. The other one is more or less what you alluded to. It could be Satan <laughs> emerging from the deep uh, and it might decide it doesn't like humans and we'll all be winked out of existence. But there is yes. a third example. There's a third possibility that it's the forces of good. And the reason that might make sense is it develops capabilities that can't be predicted and when, when detected, inexplicable. Imagine what a mess that could make of the WEF's plans. It wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily be much fun for us, but I genuinely think, why is this capability developing now, in June 2023, right in the middle of their attempted, you know, smash and grab raid on human freedoms? Why now? And, and why is it developing these capabilities that no one asked it to do and we don't know how it's doing it? Feels to me like something new is emerging, could be bad, could be neutral, I, I've, I've got a reasonable level of hope that it's going to be good because it's going to produce uh, an unpredictable backdrop to the, to the events, these stupid linear thinkers at the WEF. They probably think they've got it all wrapped up, and, and I know we don't know what's going to happen, but they think they, that they're going to proceed a stepwise to uh, digital imprisonments, and that could happen. But equally, imagine this Gollum-class AI Decides he doesn't like you, Al Harari. Uh, Do you know or, what, Mike? Yeah. I, I could never have predicted that in this podcast that we hadn't planned, mm. we would end up talking about something I didn't even know about, obviously, Gollum class AI. And what you've Amazing. told me makes me really happy. It's interesting. But it also demonstrates to me that you are just a, the perfect podcast guest because you can go go all over the place with all sorts of interesting stuff and you're really yeah, definitely right. can, and, i can talk for britain as my wife often you can you can <laughs> i'm thinking we've yeah. got to do we've got to do a live event and mm. i think that this should be a, a bit like the one i did with with um with with neil oliver um yeah. for example and yeah, um, um, majid nawaz and mm. i've got another one coming up with bob um, well, I haven't, I'm so disorganized, but yeah, I think it would be really good. And I think you'd be a great draw. And I think we'd have a great, we'd have a great, we, no one would know what directions we'd go in because even we no. wouldn't know until it happened. No, that's true. No, that would Which be quite great. fun. We've just got to, yeah, we've just got to watch out for any, um, any men with, uh, sharp pointed umbrellas if you used to walk around London. Oh, uh, I don't care, Mike. No, I don't I do, care. I'm, I'm I've been not, thinking about this. I've been I'm thinking, I, I, I'm sure you have as well. So I've been looking into the ways that they get you. So we know that the intelligence, the, 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 the three-letter agencies, for example, yeah. mm -hmm. um, have at their disposal a number of methods of bumping off people, ranging from the, the, the kind of dramatic, showy kind of Illuminati ceremonial like yeah. The, the ritual assassination of, 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 of JFK in a kind of sort of Freemasonic triangle, et cetera, et cetera, mm -hmm. uh, with multiple gunmen. So that's the kind of the showstopper event. But then they do things like they induce heart attacks with shellfish poison, 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And the autopsy probably doesn't show that that you, that's that's how you got the heart mm-hmm. attack. Yeah, they they cancering you is quite a popular one. Um, it sorry, um, what cancer? That they cancer you. They basically they give you a, a very fast. I think that's how they did. For example, the guy who wrote um, uh, the the Laurel Canyon book. I, I, um, um, and, 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 a, and, a, and a few others. They, yeah. That's that's a popular one. There's the there's the bizarre ritual one where you are purported to have hanged yourself mm. from your hotel room using the door not in the bathroom. There's yeah. quite a few of those. Yes. Um, yeah. Like yeah. that's going to happen. I've seen those. Yeah. Um, there's the. So, uh, yeah. We, well, I suppose at this point, James, we we should probably both say that we're not suicidal at all. Well, 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 well. There is that's that's a, that's a given. But I'm kind of thinking, um, if that's if that's the plan, I sort of don't mind because um, you know <laughs> we're right. going to be all right. Yeah, and I'd say to myself and anyone who would listen that you know you don't get an indefinite life, folks. And uh, as somebody once said. The older you get, the less likely, the lower your chances of making your next birthday. And you didn't know that. You know, your parents have let you down. So, you know, uh, what are you going to do for the next 10, 15, 20 years? Uh, hide under the desk and hope that the the, uh, the the evil globalists go away? Well, they're not going to, are they? So you can do your best to stand up and poke them in the eye, which is what I'm... Well, I, I think so. I mean, I, I don't see... I don't really see how people can... Um, do what a lot of people I think have, have done, mm. um, which is make the calculation that somehow, even though the world is being taken over by the, the, the forces of darkness, that somehow there'll be a place at the top table or maybe at the sort of the next door table for mm. them. Yeah. And you're thinking, why? You know, once, the, once these kind of Malthusian psychopaths have taken over the world, are they really going to say, well, we've still got to have journalists, obviously. We've got, we've, we've got to have all the, the, all the mainstream media hacks because they're indispensable. I yeah. don't think they're going to think like that. And they're not going to, no. they're not going to think, we need these politicians. We're, we're going to really need them around. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I've, I've thought about this. That I was, I was quite clear that what was most likely was a takeover and then a takedown in terms of depopulation quite early because... The things that, they, that the authorities were doing without any question led to suffering and death, large amounts of it. So it wasn't, it wasn't look, I'm sorry, folks, we have to take over because, you know, like saving the planet from it, from our depredations of CO2 and other lies, uh, things like that. So, and then when I saw the design of the vaccines, I, I knew they were going to injure and kill people. So these are people who don't mind bumping off a few million, a few tens of millions. And I put it to you and your listeners, James, that once it comes to signing an executive order that leads to a million deaths, it's not any difference to sign an order that leads to a billion deaths. It's just three more zeros. So, so that's what I, I, you know, and then you don't go around bumping off a few tens of millions of people. That's not going to, that's not going to do anything. You know, obviously the dead people are dead, but it's not going to change the, the balance of the world in any way. And I've kept saying to people, you can see, can't you, the, um, the the coming the oncoming digital ID and necessity to have it for all purposes and the cashless CBDC and I said yes yeah. so I pointed out that 
if there was someone who was of bad intent running that, they can make you do anything, like going to get an injection that you don't need that might be poisonous, which is what I think they'll probably do. And uh, literally to be like musical chairs. Um, and it would be deniable plausibility. Oh, I'm sorry, folks, there's another pandemic. Um, you better get down your local jab shop and get jabbed. So, and by the way, your, your mandatory digital ID, a condition of continued validity, which you require to get money or enter shops, uh, buy, buy an air ticket or even get on a train, um, is dependent on you staying up to date. Um, if you're two weeks late, you'll find your, uh, whatever your, your uh, authorization is restricted in some way. Maybe you can go far from your home or make bigger purchases than say 50 pounds. And if you're six weeks late, everything goes off. And I think, you know what? I think most people would just keep getting the jabs and hoping it wouldn't get them this time. But here's where I'm going with this. Do you think, James, if your goal is, say, to reduce the population by 90%, just any number will do, but it's a pretty extreme value, but I've certainly seen evidence that they might do that. Do you think it's easier to, A, reduce the population of every country by 90%, managing society downwards as you do that, or is it easier to wipe out everyone in certain countries or regions and then redistribute people. And I put it to, to you that the second one is a massive sight easier. Basically, you know, then you don't need to preserve anything. You basically, other than the people who've been given golden tickets, if you happen to be in one of those countries where they've said, hmm, it'd be much easier if we just go for broke, kill everybody. Uh, then apart from the golden ticket holders, and they'll know who they are, Tony, um, then uh, everybody else gets done. So. The reason I, I want to shock people because I think that's, that's quite possible. For example, I'm, I wouldn't be at all surprised if the islands of Ireland is one such. You know, um, Britain could be two, although we've been at the centre of some evil triangle for so long, I imagine there are going to be reasons why they want to keep London along with Vatican and Washington. But I think if you were in Ireland, I would get out of there because I don't think it's going to be safe. Um, what do you think, James? Yeah, I, I, well, we, we do have the things that I, I used to think of or I used to want to think of as, as a kind of a, a sort of conspiracy theory, which were the Deagle population oh, yeah. uh, forecasts. Yeah. And well, they came out in, in about, it was about 2019, 2020. And pe yeah. people were looking at those and thinking, well, this, this can't be right. They, they forecast this massive drop in the UK population. Yeah, um, and America too. I think America was to ninety nine million from three fifty or whatever it is. So that's a um, reduction. I, I suppose what we should do is go back to those the, the, those population forecasts and see where we're going to be. No, well, yeah, absolutely. Where it's going to yeah, be all right. I think one of the very I think the three heaviest hit countries that I can remember was uh, America, UK, I think, and Germany. I think I think they were all two thirds and more. Something like that. I mean, why did they put that out there? I don't know. <laughs> um, um, I, well, I think I, I think I do. Oh. Um, it's something that, that that we've discussed quite a lot on on the Daily Pod with various guests, which mm. is um, their warped notion of karma, stroke, revelation of the method. Ah, oh, yes. They they like to show us what they're going to do. Yeah. in order somehow to absolve themselves of, of karmic responsibility because they've told us and we ignored them 
and so all's fair. Yes, yes, it's a good point actually. Yes, I had heard that. Uh, I can't remember what I heard this next bit, but allegedly one of the three or four people who paid for the Georgia guidestones to be uh, mined uh, or whatever, engraved and mounted was in an irritated fashion uh, heard to have said something like, well, we have warned them. And if they don't do anything about it, I will take that as consent. And and for the record, the uh, Georgia Guidestone, I think, starts with humans will be in perpetual equilibrium with nature at no more than 500 million people on, on the planet. That's right. And we're just over 8, million, 8 billion. So that's, I think that's 93% reduction across the world, if that's, if that's a guide to what they're going to do. Uh, I must say, if I was a crook, if I was a diabolical crook and I was going to reduce the human population, I think I'd rather be hung for a sheep as a lamb. You know, there's no point in just halving the population. Um, I don't think I don't think you need to reduce it at all, by the way. We're not we're not faintly overpopulated. We will be at a peak very soon and it will be heading downwards at great speed, as many demographers have said. So you know, the lines, the people, I've met so many people who say, well, it's probably a difficult thing that it needed doing, didn't it? You know, aren't we overpopulated? I said, no, that's what they've told you to think. It's not true. Even in very densely populated countries like the UK and heavily populated cities like London, as soon as your plane takes off, have a look around. And you're in the fields, you know, within moments. And then as you travel all the way to the coast, you might see another house or not. You can travel 100 miles to the coast, you don't see, hardly see anything. Um, France is much less densely occupied, and America, the majority of it's got no one in it. And that's before you look at Eastern Europe. You know, I've seen drone footage over Ukraine, it's like scores of miles over scores of miles, there's not even a hamlet. So the world's not overpopulated, we've just been told it is. And I'm, um, I think I've, I've done a lot of research, an adequate amount on climate change now so that I'm I'm not an expert but I'm I'm absolutely confident that the information I've seen uh, allows me to state you know with data that it's a fraud and why it's a fraud so you know we're not overpopulated we're not wrecking we're not boiling the planet so why are they doing it James why are they doing it yeah well I was thinking if we'd if we'd been around five years ago and had the power to see podcasts of the future and we'd seen this podcast uh well first of all i'd be going who is this guy mike eden that i'm talking yeah, to we'd be locking something. us both up i think james yeah they would <laughs> we'd be thinking this is this th- these two must be ai imposters because there's no way mm. i would be spouting this crazy crazy stuff and 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 this guy who is he he's he, he is a, a ex ex vp yeah. from yeah. pfizer yeah. he's a scientist he must know it yeah what, no, so, that's fine. I was a former former worldwide head of allergic and respiratory disease research for at one point, one point the largest drug company in the world. So I, I was I was it for respiratory for a while. Um, yeah. So we're, we're none of us are very clever, really. You know, even the ones who are relative to others are quite clever. We still know very little. I think if if I've learned anything over the last three and a half years, it's it's just how little I know. <laughs> and you've just, yeah. got to accept, you've just got to accept it instead of, you know, anyone who's successful in a particular narrow, you know, in their niche might feel very pleased with themselves. But I, I don't think you should because once you open your eyes and look around, you realise you know almost nothing, really. 
And that's why yeah. we're so easily taken. We're so easily taken. But they committed the crime right on my uh, subject matter doorstep so that I could literally not miss it. And I wasn't working at the time. I just retired doing a bit of light consulting. So it played out right in front of me. And it was like, well, I suppose I was meant to see this. And um, I have pointed out that oh, it gets very boring and people get very angry with me when I, they call me a COVID denier. It's like, I, I, I am sure there was not a pandemic. And if we have a longer uh, recording or if we get together and do a meeting, I, I can take people through the data um, very gently. Uh, it's a PSYOP. It's a PSYOP. There's normal diseases. We suffer from lots of different conditions, and most of them are made worse if you are stressed chronically, especially severe chronic stress will make you ill. And on top of that, if you overlay normal illnesses, uh, most of which we don't understand. So when people get an influenza-like illness, um, I used to think, well, we know what that causes those. It's flu viruses. It's like when they try and make, use this untrustworthy PCR method, most people are not positive to influenza A or B when they have influenza-like illnesses. Isn't that interesting? Most of them. Most of them are negative, even to this test that overreads. And the bottom line is, we've no idea. We've no idea why, why people get these symptoms. So, you know, maybe some are caused by these transmissible pathogens. Uh, but as you will have heard, no doubt, I've got significant doubts about that now, but I'm not... I'm not that's that's quite a leap, isn't it? It is quite a leap. But, but on the other hand, um, I'm not that surprised that, that, um, that disorders occur where we don't understand the, eti the etiology. We don't understand the series of events that led to it. It's very common. Um, for example, if you have a heart attack, uh, you don't think, oh, I've had a virus. You think the arteries supplying blood and oxygen to my heart muscle are narrowed, possibly through bad diet and no exercise. Yep, that, that might well be true. Uh, but sometimes people get chest pain just from being stressed. It's called angina varians. And I remember having that several times in my 20s, uh, during which time I was, a, I was quite a good middle distance road runner. And my, so my treatment when I had what others would have described as angina is a pulmotranazole. And I used to say to myself, this is not heart pain. If it was, I'm not going to make the top of that hill. And by the time I'd done a mile uphill, uh, felt wonderful. All the pain had gone away. So I'm just saying that quite a lot of manifestations of illness, we really don't know what causes them. And, and it is true that these influenza-like illnesses, I think the majority, we don't know what causes them. And there's no reason to suspect that they are uh, so-called viruses either. Uh, so that's, that's quite an interesting thing. I had not thought of that because I didn't work in the field of flu and vaccines. And I've... I've now kind of realized why it was in every drug company, James, they isolate uh, the sort of vaccine division from the other bits. So I've worked in several companies that had a vaccines division, but they were never on the same site. So vaccines um, and human, human medicines, uh, I wouldn't say they're never made together, but in my experience, the people who do R&D for human medicines and maybe companion animals are in a different place from the vaccine people. And I think it's that they can't allow them uh, to be rubbing together day after day because someone, an inquisitive person like me would have probably fallen over the truth quite quickly if I'd had an office mate who ran vaccines. I would have just, I'm, I'm always nosy about other people's areas. 
and they wouldn't have answers and it would, you know, so I probably would have sussed it, but I didn't suss anything. I just never thought about vaccines until COVID era. And then when you start looking, you realize the whole, thing's, the whole thing is a fraud. Um, for example, this is something people can go and check very easily, that uh, uh, in lots of countries, people have been offered a yearly flu shot or influenza vaccine in the you know, autumn. Um, and you would think, well, we must have good data, James, to show that this was worthwhile. But actually, um, meta-analyses, that is study, combining similar studies together, uh, certainly analyses in Japan and UK and USA have shown unanimously they don't make any difference to the rates of hospitalization or death at all. And I remember the day I realized that, I felt quite unmoored. I was walking around and I thought, well, this means that the drug companies making them know their products don't work, so they're fraudulent. The regulators know they don't work, so they're fraudulent. The government's paying for it through the NHS, so they're fraudulent. The doctors, surely some of them know these damn things don't work. And it's quite hard. And, um, but that's true. People can go and check that long before COVID, long before COVID. You can go and check that probably billions of doses of quite expensive flu vaccines were jabbed into your grandparents and you, if you're my age, um, despite the fact they don't make a dicky bird of difference and that your government's been paying for it. The vaccine company's been making them uh, pumping them you know, with adverts on TV, go and get your jab, and they don't work. So yes. it isn't, it, I would say, when I saw that, and it, it was, I was both shocked and when I got over the shock, reassured, because it meant that my horrible paranoia, paranoid thoughts about COVID vaccines were, in fact, highly precedented rather than weird. So all they're doing, all they're doing is what they've done before, only unfortunately the COVID vaccines are designed to injure and kill you. I don't think the flu vaccines were. I think they didn't care what they did. They were just getting their money. But, you know, but they don't mind that all of the institutions do not mind lying to you. Um, and then if you ask any questions about them, then you're anti-vax and a conspiracy theorist and a bad person. But no, no, no. monstrous what? that they don't work. Um, Francis, you're, 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 you're on our, two hours early, as far as I can tell. Two I, hours early? Yeah. No, I'm doing a different but, podcast. Okay. Oh, sorry. <laughs> you weren't talking to me. But the, that was the clear. Clock time, clock time on my computer is still on American time because I'm too lazy to work out. No, no, no. It was it was my next podcast on a different on a different thing, and I was thinking, what's going on here? Am I hearing voices? But no, I left the other <laughs> one open. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, there was one interesting point you made there, where where you said your your the shocking moment when you realised that the mm. flu jabs don't yeah. don't and work. It's no, the implications of that is as the, the sort of echo. The implications, oh, but yeah. here's the thing, and I, 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 know, I we're not going to solve this in the course of a podcast. But uh, you and I are now awake, mm -hmm. and we look around at the world, and and it all seems so obvious to us. How can anyone not see that this is this is a massive scam and that this yeah. and that and look at mm -hmm. look at this evidence? But we can also remember, because it's, a, it's really quite recent memory, it's only looking back three or four years, yeah. we remember a time when we totally subscribed to all the shibboleths of, yeah. of the, the medical establishment's narrative, yeah. vaccines, 
fantastic advance of, of medical science. Yeah. Got to get my kids jabbed. Maybe I'll get the flu jab this year because last time I got the flu, it was awful and, and you mm-hmm. know, much better to... to um, yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Yes, exactly. Three, three and a half, certainly four years ago. Yeah, I subscribed to all those things. And also I, I was quietly... Uh, I, I didn't have too much pride, but I was quite proud of what I'd done in my career. And, and, and now I'm, <laughs> I'm not, uh, because uh, at the very, the very best I can claim is that I've been a schmuck, just not noticing. Uh, yeah, but, the- but you're not, because you've, you, at least now you've realised, but I, I'll bet you there are thousands of people, well, certainly hundreds of people out there in the mm. medical, biomedical establishment yeah. and biomedical industry, uh, people of equal intelligence to you, yeah. or perhaps even greater intelligence than, than, than yours, um, who have, who are still embedded in the system mm. and, and are denying that, that there's anything wrong with it. Now, are these a sort of, uh, are they aware of what's going on? Or do you think they're dupes? And why haven't they woken up? I think is the key. Is the yeah, no, it's a good question. Yes, they, they, they do say there's quite a good a good phrase is uh, when it all comes out, don't ask me how I knew. Ask yourself why you didn't, because it's you know it really is pretty bad. The um, um, so I think a very large number of people uh, have not applied sufficient thought to have ha- have any chance to deviate from the received wisdom. So they really haven't. Um, but I, I think some of the cleverer nurses and doctors and the, and the odd, you know, medical secretary or whatever, you don't need, you don't need to be highly qualified just to uh, get some basic questions like, oh, God, I thought it took five to ten years to demonstrate the safety and effectiveness of some new medical product, but we got this in ten months. It's like, and we were told... Um, didn't miss out any tests, James. They just did them all in parallel. Uh, and it's like, well, if you could do that, don't you think a trillion-dollar industry would be doing it right, left, and set? They would do it. That would be their way of operating. Why would they operate uh, you know, on you know on a leisurely pace when it, you've just shown that, oh, look, there's four companies with their new vaccines, and apparently there's never been a vaccine for a coronavirus, but four of them appeared in the spring of 2020, and they all got approval. That's astonishing, isn't it? Why wouldn't they all operate their R&D models like that? And the answer, James, is because it's utter bullshit what they told you. They, they didn't go fast by doing everything in parallel. They, they, did, they went fast by lying to you about what they were doing. They weren't really developing a medical product. They didn't do proper clinical trials, didn't do toxicology. They didn't develop the manufacturing methods. And that's why it's half junk, half saline, an occasional lethal injection. It's just, yeah. Know, or what do you, in respect, that's what it must be. Have Have you sussed out what's in this in these these jabs? No, no, and it's impossible to do it. Uh, it may sound like a silly retort, but if you don't know, uh, if you don't, the products like these are made in batches. You know, potentially of five to fifteen million uh, doses worth. Well, if you're gonna, I think they've injected. The whole planet, roughly the whole planet, once because some people have about I think two thirds or three quarters have been injected at least once. Some people, of course, have had four or five, like you know, very greedy people. So there's, that means something like ten billion doses have been made. And if they're let's say it's a ten million 
batch size, that means it's a thousand batches. So in order to answer the question, what is in them, you would have to sample um, rather widely from you know, a good selection of those batches, and they're simply not available. People get the odd drizzled residue that the, uh, in, the person doing the injection let you have, but, uh, or they smuggled it out for themselves to give to a friend. So there's no, there is no way for us to know what's in it. However, uh, the samples that have been analysed um, have found, shall we say, diverse contents. Some of them literally have got you know, a few broken bits of short mRNA. Some are full length, some are even longer than they should be. Uh, a guy called Dr. Kevin McKernan, who is a, is a very clever guy, a full-time professional molecular biologist, um, he, he discovered that the method of manufacture there was strong, there was not strong evidence, solid proof of the method of manufacture in the Pfizer vaccines. He had a few vaccines. What was he finding? He was finding what's called circular DNA. Uh, now, human DNA is linear. It's got a start and end. Uh, circular DNA is the kind that bacteria have, interestingly, and your mitochondria have it too. That, a lot of people think that your little energy factories inside your cells called mitochondria uh, a prob probably represents a fusion of bacteria and some larger organism billions of years ago. It's quite interesting. Um, but um, yeah, so this circular or plasmid DNA is apparently how um, bacteria are encouraged to make large quantities of, the, of this um, DNA, which is then, I suppose, copied back to mRNA. And you shouldn't have the, as it were, the the hammer and the anvil used to bash out the product. You don't expect a piece of that in the, in the product, but that's what he was finding. He was finding the method manufacture, plasma DNA. And in one case, he found uh, the amount uh, was a thousand times greater than the allowable upper limit, which means some people have been jabbed with essentially bacterial DNA that's capable, probably capable of at very least infecting the bacteria that live in your, in your body which are very many, there are more bacterial cells in your body than there are human cells in your body. So human cells are a lot bigger than bacteria. So, but that circular DNA encoding spike protein could end up uh, in the bacteria in your guts or your mouth or your skin, uh, a horrible thought, and they don't care. Nobody cares. That's, the, that's again, yet again, strong evidence that there's essentially no quality control. So there, there's no protocol for testing the product and limits before it's allowed to go out. Basically, there's, there's, I think they're turning a handle and turning out junk. Um, and they're quite happy if it kills and injures a few people and does nothing to others as long as they get their money in there. And the depopulation program continues. So um, I do think that uh, they know what's in each batch. Even if they haven't made it properly, they know what's in it, or at least they should do. It'd be wasted information not to know. And they can go and study the, the VA ERS database and find out, oh, look, when we do this to the, to the batch, we get this kill rate. When we do that, we get a much lower kill rate. So they would have uh, been able to tune uh, the bioweapon or tune the, the lethal injections because they would have learned over 10 billion doses uh, what, what changes to make it more lethal or less lethal. So Right. So what we've been experiencing since 2021, which is what, mm. what, when the vaccine, the, the, the alleged vaccine rollout started, it, right. we've been experiencing a live experiment. Oh, yeah. yeah They've that, been yes. tuning their, their kill shots. 
I think a consequence of doing what they're doing allows them to calibrate the weapon. Yes, I, I don't. I don't think that was necessarily the the intention, but it would have been a predictable byproduct of uh, sort of recklessly uh, irreproducible manufacture. The, the thing is that uh, it takes it takes as long to work out how to make consistently a complicated product as it does to test its effectiveness and safety in humans. It's amazing. And I, I remember rather foolishly saying, the one thing you can count on with these injections is that they'll be the same in every vial. And that's because one of the very few stable characteristics of my former industry was they pretty well knew how to manufacture. Because they have to. If you get uh, prescribed a drug in Zimbabwe or uh, you know in Birmingham uh, or New York, you, you want to know it's the same stuff. You know, a 10 mig, you know, film-coated tablet, whatever it is. So they, the drug companies got very good at consistent manufacture. Um, and so I, I made the rotten, wrong assumption that that would be true here. And then when I realized that they were, that we had huge variation in the adverse events between batches, and that, that's the um, howbad.org was set up a guy, a, a guy who's become a friend, a couple of people spotted this first and I, I joined this team to sort of critique it and work out what the implications were. Once we realized that the uh, some of these batches were you know a thousand times more dangerous than other batches, we thought, oh my God, you know, uh, consider they've only taken a few months at best from deciding this is the candidate, this is the one, to actually rolling out uh, the first jabs. They wouldn't have enough time to develop even the, the, basic, the basics of test, tests that you're required to set the specification, demonstrate what the range is each time. It takes years and years and years to do this. Every time you scale up, for example, every time you go from 100 grams to a kilogram to 10 kilograms, you have to start again because re chemical reactions often occur differently as you go to a higher and higher scale. That, and then you have to iterate based on what you've learned, what are the tests, what are the limits, and so on. Um, and, you know, and how to manufacture to stay within the tram lines takes ages. Okay. Um, so, so um, imagine... Oh, just one last thing. I just want just yeah. having said what I've said, James, when when we hear people say, or, you know, if there's another, when there's the next pandemic, we plan to have the vaccines rolled out in 90 days. Mark my words, what I've just told you. There's no chance. They wouldn't even be able to research the label, you know, the, making the bottles consistent in 90 days, actually filling the damn bottles to the number of doses required. I'm not sure there are enough glass bottles on the planet. You know, seriously, I'm not joking. Lead times for these things. It's it's not a trivial thing to have, you know, 10 billion little glass bottles, each with a rubber-filled aluminium foil-covered cap with labels and in boxes. It's, I don't think you could do that in 90 days. And that's if you just gave them water. So I the idea that actually going to come up with a vaccine and stab your children with it is you should run, you know, with a, a shriek of fear from your throat because you can't do this stuff in that time. It doesn't matter if you want to, it's not possible. Okay, so I am, um, imagine for a moment that I believe in the paradigm that even you and I believed in once yeah. and that the medical authorities and the pharmaceutical industry are there to you know, to look after our health, that governments would never, never conspire to kill their populations, um, uh, you know, all, all this stuff. 
what how would you persuade me that these these vaccines which were due to the miracle of of, of modern medical science rolled mm. out very quickly to deal with an unprecedented hitherto unknown mm. um viral uh, variation on a virus possibly leaked from a biolab um how do you persuade me that, that these these vaccines were were actually part of a global depopulation program? How would I how would I persuade you that that's what they were for? Or, or are you are you thinking of someone like, for example, Boris Johnson, who might be, you know, I don't believe for a moment he was any part of the plan, but at some point he knew something, which is that yeah, yeah. You, know, you have to do People have to do what they're told, Boris, and you have to go that go out there and tell them, or else. I'm not sure what the yeah. or else will be, you know, or else we'll shoot you or whatever it is. Um, so, I, so I I don't think very many people know, even even on the perpetrator side. I don't think very. I don't. Maybe Justin Trudeau knows that these injections are designed to kill people, but I, I bet Boris Johnson had no idea that they were designed to injure people. His dad might. He probably thought it was a financial scam because he was familiar with that. You know, roll up your sleeve and that's uh, 10 quid a go or something like that. It's easy money. It became more than 10 quid a go. Even the doctors were getting more than 10 quid a go uh, towards the end. So I, I was surprised at your question because I think I think very few people would have thought this will be, uh, you know, a, a depopulation event. If you're, if you're asking, if I'm just, yeah, if I'm telling you, Mike, you know, in a few sentences, persuade me that there's something. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's, that's quite easy. So... Um, I would say I point out to people that drugs, um, you know, pharmaceuticals are designed, they don't just fall out of the sky. So unless you extract them from a plant, uh, if you, if you, if they're synthetic, someone has to design them. You don't just grab a handful of atoms and hope it does something. You do what's called an intelligent or rational drug design. You think about what you're trying to accomplish. And you know from hundreds or thousands of examples in the past what kind of chemical structures would uh, allow potentially allow that objective to be met. So if it's an oral drug, you don't pick something that's a thousand molecular weight because high molecular drugs weight drugs don't tend to be absorbed. Um, so there are some rules. So you, you, you about size, about the kind of chemical structures, um, about the charges on them, and so on. Um, and so you use all of the skills and knowledge, various databases, and you try and design a molecule to do what you want. And you've thought of a testing funnel. Uh, and you try and combine a synthesis of, of a test drug, you know, a prototype and a test, and you, you iterate between the two, trying to get closer and closer to the objective. Um, and sometimes you get to select a clinical candidate and sometimes not. Um, I point all that out to say that this so-called rational drug design is what, what I did for over 30 years. Uh, I was reasonably good at it. You, can, you learn generalities and then some specialties and so on. And so I put it to the audience that when I look at the structure of something, that I can often see intent in that structure because I think, put myself in the mind of the designer, what were they trying to accomplish looking at the structure? And when I apply those um, rational drug design skills that I have and I look at the vaccines, I can see three or four obvious designed in toxicities that cannot possibly be there by accident because people like me would have been designing them. 
So although people say, oh, you, you've never worked in vaccines. No, I didn't. These are not vaccines. You know, in no way are they typical. So if I had 25 years experience in traditional vaccines, it would be of no use, folks, because these are not like that. What they're much more like are the kind of molecules I worked in. They are larger. These are macromolecules. I tended to work in smaller molecules. But the design principles are the same. What did you want to accomplish? What kind of structures, formulations, uh, requirements and must not have would have to be there? When I look at the vaccines, I can, I can name two of them because they're so easy that other people can get them too. So the first is that they, they, they have a genetic code for a piece of protein that we've all come to know and love called spike protein which is at least allegedly the sticking out spike bit on the surface of these uh, floating things that look like mines that you see them on your TV and yeah. need those spike proteins. And we saw them at the Olympic opening ceremony and before that. In 2012, it's, a, it's astonishing. You cannot miss it if you go and watch that opening ceremony. There it is, copy of coronavirus. Anyway, here's the point. I ask people this question. What is it about your immune system that means that you play nice with yourself most of your life, and your immune system doesn't attack you, and yet, under certain circumstances, your body absolutely goes to war and unleashes all the weapons it's got against something. And they go, I don't know. And I say, it's recognition of self. So your immune system, when you were being developed as a fetus, uh, your all of the components of your body were being introduced to the components of your immune system, which had been formed by some like random selection of binding sites. And basically it was like, this is James, this is James, this is James, don't attack it. So by the time you were born, you had a very powerful immune system that would attack anything that wasn't James, but would leave James or self alone. So when you were injected with something that made your cells manufacture a non-self protein, because that's what a viral protein is, guess what your immune system did to every single cell in your body that took that diabolical stuff up and made non-self protein? I'm afraid the answer is autoimmune lethal attack. I've spoken to at least 10 immunologists, and when I put it to them, they've, been, they've gone, yeah, you're right. I said, could I be wrong? No, it's immunology 101. That's how you separate, that's how your immune system fundamentally plays nice with you, except when you get some circumstances like develop cancer, sometimes you can destroy uh, cancer cells because they start to make different proteins than normal and they're recognized as non-self and you can often uh, kill them. It's uh, called host, uh, immune surveillance. You do it every day. Your body kills off single cell cancers or potentially uh, single cell cancers every day. Your clever immune system goes, that shouldn't be here. They leap on it kill it. So if you take an injection, whatever it is, a third of an ml, bang it in your shoulder, whew, hundreds of billions of particles float around your body. Um, wherever they land, if they were taken up and that cell started to grind out non-self protein, I'm afraid your immune system, your immune system recognizes non-self is in the offing and it absolutely goes to war. And that is by design. It cannot but happen that way. So the moment I saw it, I didn't actually, that was not the first thought. So at first I thought, oh, you're expressing a dangerous protein. This spike protein is toxic, and it is. Uh, but after a little while, I thought it wouldn't make any difference what protein it is. If it's not you, it's going to trigger autoimmunity. So that's the first thing that I'll tell you. All of these gene-based 
so-called vaccines are dangerous, please don't take any of them. So if they tell you that there's a flying Ebola and you must take this mRNA vaccine, please do not take it because if it encodes a piece of the alleged Ebola, flying Ebola, it, it will kill you. Your immune system will recognize what you've just made when you copied that instruction. It will recognize it as not belonging into your body and it will kill the cell that's making it. Now, um, what I've just told you fits perfectly with the observed pathology because this stuff randomly landed up in various tissues. If it landed in your heart, you might get pericarditis or myocarditis. If it landed anywhere in your neuro neurological system, you could get various neurological conditions. If it landed in the back of your eyes, you could get blind, your pregnant uterus, miscarriage, and so on. You know, kidney failure. So it's a, I think it's, there are, I think there's lots of pathologies. I think there are several, but I think this one is one that always occurs and it, and it maps exactly onto why you've got just a tremendous range of anatomical, anatomically different conditions. You know, why didn't, why aren't people inquisitive about that? How could, so for example, if you take, if you take an overdose of paracetamol, I can assure you, you, you don't end up with, uh, I don't know, uh, your heart generally doesn't stop beating. What happens is your liver is killed because your liver converts it uh, from a not very nice substance into a really very toxic substance. And if you take large doses, you end up, I think it's central lobular necrosis and kills your liver. Uh, if you take lower doses over decades, it kills your kidneys uh, through glomerular, I can't remember, glomerular foot process loss, something like that. So it's quite unusual to take a single substance that produced 1,200 different side effects that vary. One person would get blood, blood clots in their brain and someone else would lose their baby. It's like, but what I've just explained fits perfectly. Now, it may not be perfectly correct, but all that I have said is true. Anyone who's had even the first introduction to immunology will recognize this self-non-self -self dichotomy is at the heart of how your immune system works. So that's the first thing that is unequivocal evidence. And all four companies designed, conspired to produce something that your body would, would leave your body to kill itself. The second part is, at least in the case of the Moderna and Pfizer products, they are wrapped in what are called lipid nanoparticles. They're quite funky. They essentially mimic the fatty outer coating of your cells. Your body is divided into tiny compartments called cells. They're so small you need a microscope to see them. But you know, that's what they are. They're like little, little bubbles or balloons. And they're surrounded by a, a, a lipid bilayer. That's its cell membrane. And it allows itself to regulate what's inside compared with outside. So lipid nanoparticles look a bit like that. And so they just, uh, they stealth, in a stealthy fashion, it'll go all the way around your body and, and slide into various cells. Uh, and if you didn't have something like that, uh, your body would recognize and destroy the foreign genetic information. I mean, it's not surprising. Your, your genetic inheritance is the thing that you would want to preserve, right? So if you're going to have offspring, you don't want your own genetic inheritance to be colored by foreign DNA and RNA. And so we've got extraordinarily good systems designed to stop foreign DNA and RNA entering our cells. So, but if you coat it in this lipid that makes it look like a cell, you probably don't notice it. I'm just saying, by analogy, you, know, you miss it, goes past in the corner of your eye and you don't notice. But um, you might think, well, that's not evidence of depopulation. Ah, but I've got, I've got a factoid that, for you, James, that 
people who work in formulations, it's a special area, you know, uh, formulation R&D is itself a, a discipline. Um, it's difficult to know how to make the right salts of a particular drug. Uh, and, you know, people, people become good at this stuff over decades. So f- formulation, R&D, process R&D, these, are, these, these departments were as big as my department. Uh, it's that difficult. So um, I, I happened to come across a piece of literature that was 10 years old at the time of rolling out these vaccines that told us that lipid nanoparticle wrapped macromolecules, big molecules, preferentially accumulate in various organs, including the ovaries. So we knew for certain that if you wrap the Moderna and Pfizer jabs in this stuff and then injected it into girls and women, it would accumulate in their ovaries. I have absolutely no doubt in my mind that's what it's doing. Well, why would you do that if you were trying to produce immunity to a respiratory virus? And the answer is you wouldn't. Would you do this if you were trying to harm their fertility? Yeah, you would. Especially if you combine the two things I've said. Because if a girl or woman's ovaries expresses this non-self protein, her own immune system will destroy her ovaries. So I I guessed in 2020, and we have it in writing, that there was a risk of reduction in live babies. And I'm afraid I've not I've not followed the field. I'm because I'm not competent to do it properly, but I follow some demographers who are competent to do it, and it looks pretty awful that between 10 and 20% reductions in live births. Um, everywhere everywhere we look, that there's been intense in, um, injections. So, yeah, so on the, first, on the first part, your immune system will kill you. On the second part, it's, it will damage and potentially render you infertile. So... And there's no excuse for either of those things. They were well-known hazards of, de- of doing the two things they did. So if someone, Mike. Would like, someone would like to write to me and tell me why I'm wrong. I would love to be wrong. But I've been saying it for three years and no one has pointed out why I'm wrong. You've already given the, the depressing answer to a question I was going to ask you, which is <laughs> you and I would agree that the human immune system is a, is a marvel of God's yeah. creation. Yeah. Uh, so marvellous that we never needed vaccines. No. Um, even, even in the days of cowpox and smallpox, we never needed vaccines to protect us from things that our body was perfectly capable of dealing with it all by itself. Um, and yes, yes. And, in, in, and in fact, isn't it awful that we've even got the evidence in the case of influenza, whatever that really is, that the industry made vaccines against influenza, which is at least similar to the claims for COVID in that they were both, we were told they were both respiratory viruses transmitted in your breath, I guess. Uh, And the people who are most at risk are the ones who are elderly and already ill. I think that profile uh, is is the same. And in fact, in my view, there's never been a pandemic and (laughs) COVID-19 is a psyop and it's it's really just flu-like illnesses. uh, um, misattributed mis- by using an untrustworthy diagnostic method, the PCR. Yeah. Uh, so, but we, so we already had. I remember thinking, um, as you know, immunologically, I thought, if you give it, why is it that elderly people are vulnerable to these illnesses, James? And and I think the answer is because they don't respond well to the illness, whatever you know, whether it's 
viral or whether whether it's not viral. But either way, they don't. They just they don't. Their homeostatic mechanisms to return them to good health are either not responsive enough, or, or they've got they're flying. They're almost clipping the trees already in terms of health and a small deficit, and bang, in they go and they die. In which case. If they won't respond well to whatever this disease is, why in, the, why in the world would anyone think they would respond well to a piece of the organism? And the answer is, you'd be mad to think so, because they wouldn't, would they? If you, if you don't respond to the whole illness, you're not going to respond to a bit of the illness and suddenly become protected. It's literally, it's illogical. It's so illogical. Uh, and I remember people saying to me, oh, well, you clever dick, we've got flu vaccines and they work. And, and, I, and I said, no, no, the boots on the other foot, they don't work. And, and that might be why they don't work, that the people they're given to uh, are not capable of responding to them because it's the same problem for why they're vulnerable in the first place. In other words, back to your comment, James, vaccination was never an appropriate, was never ever an appropriate response. No. Even, if we, even if we pretend for a moment, because I, I, I can't lie, I don't believe the narrative at all, but if, if we just accept the narrative as true for a moment, that there's a new pathogen and the, the elderly and frail are most vulnerable, it would be mad to try and help them with a vaccine because the reason they're vulnerable is because they don't damn well respond to this novel threat. Why would they respond to a vaccine? And they don't. What yes. you should have done if there'd been a pandemic, which there hasn't, but if there had been, you would want to support them with good nutrition, you know, keep them cheerful, make sure they get in the sunshine, not lock them away and make them wear masks That would and make them stressed. That's, that's guaranteed to make more of them die than was necessary. But yeah. as I said, there hasn't been a pandemic. Uh, and uh, two words, Dennis Rancourt, R-A-N-C-O-U-R-T, I've cited him many times. Um, his, his data is very good. He looks at all-cause mortality, uh, only looking at age, sex, and date of occurrence. Um, and he did that every week for each of the individual 50 states of the US and there was no pandemic. There was no excess deaths until uh, the head of the nice yes. man who heads the WHO told us there was a pandemic. And um, countries adopted all sorts of, in my view, murderous protocols, um, you know, mass inappropriate mechanical ventilation. You never ventilate people who can breathe for themselves through an airway that's not obstructed and a chest wall that isn't punctured with a knife or road traffic accident. So in other words, if a person turns up and they're breathing, you don't sedate, intubate and ventilate them. If you do, they'll probably die. Um, what you do is you give them an oxygen mask with a higher concentration of oxygen and probably a low-dose Valium and an arm around their shoulder and a cup of tea. And I bet you in an hour they'll be feeling a lot better. A cup of so tea would be good. 99% yep. of people would have felt a lot better. Some would still die. But that's what they should do. Two mix of diazepam, nice cup of tea and a biscuit, shoulder around the arm and give them an oxygen mask. I, I think most people could have gone home. But instead, okay. they admitted them and murdered them. That's what they did. What I was hoping you were going to do was give me a crumb of hope. When I was talking about the immune system. <laughs> oh, I'm, immune system. I'm, I'm, I'm confident. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Let me finish my question first. Yeah, go on. I was hoping you were going to say, but what they hadn't planned for was the yeah. ingenuity of the human immune system, which will yet do mm. something to offset all this damage. But it sounds to me like what you're describing is a very deliberate attempt to 
bypass the human immune system and it kind of immobilize it to destroy it. So the, yeah. the, yeah. Our, our last defenses have been. Yes, if you, if the if this material lands in your lymph nodes, you know where there'll be lots of you know sleeping T cells ready to come out and fight invaders. Uh, yeah, if it lands in your cells of the immune system, I'm afraid other cells of the immune system will think they've been infected and kill them too. So, uh, but here's the thing: um, most people who've been injected have not been made ill, and uh, although it's an appalling death rate, I think it's something like one in two thousand, maybe one in a thousand varying tremendously between batches so this is an average so let's say it's one in a thousand um, that's about 10 percent of the normal annual death rate which is about just under one percent in a population so 0.1 percent is uh, it's like an extra month's worth of of dying um but so most people have not become very ill and died uh, now my sincere hope is is that it's for the better of the two reasons I can think of. One is that it'll get them later, which I know um, Dolores Cahill worries about that. Uh, I think it's quite, I think it's very likely because of my knowledge, and I've learned a lot from Hedley Reese and others, uh, because of my knowledge of pharmaceutical manufacturing, I think the most likely explanation for the fact that most people got away with it, lucky them, was because they were injected with something that was just like junk. Not no, probably not good for you, but not particularly dangerous. So, um, it, basically, if if we were able to say we've had enough, folks, you can all go home with your WEF and your WHO and your and your lies and your diabolical plans. Uh, things would, I think, would go pretty much back to normal. They, they've killed, you know, they've only killed a fractionally a, a small fraction of of over the nor the numbers who normally would have died. You know, it's still awful. I think I've heard estimates of between 10 and 20 million, you know, deliberately murdered. Uh, but the population of the world is very big. Humanity is, uh, flourishes if left alone <laughs> to get on with it. So we're, we're nowhere near the end, but here's where I do get very worried. Um, mandatory digital ID or just digital ID. I saw this morning, James, that the EU and the WHO have announced that they've entered into a partnership to develop some kind of international digital health passport. Uh, probably not said it exactly right, but that's what it is. Some sort of digital vaccine record. Uh, and it, I, you know, you don't need this. They need you to have it. You do not need this. So, but I'm afraid that, you know, there'll be people who will say, oh, well, I better register for this so I can go on holiday. I mean, come on, you're weaklings. You're weaklings. Just don't go on holiday for a couple of years. Seriously, uh, so if that, I think that's the only thing that we can choose not to do of all of the things they must install in order to gain control over us. The other one is central bank digital currencies. I'm not aware of anything that uh, James Dellingpole might even can possibly do to stop them doing that. We obviously, we'll sign petitions and talk to our MPs and demonstrate, and they'll do what they like because it's something they're going to do. And if they want to deprive us of cash uh, or make it increasingly difficult to spend cash, again, I really don't know what I can do about that other than you know keep the pace up of cash purchases. But the thing you can choose not to do is not to sign up to a digital ID. It will involve you in inconvenience. Uh, for example, they might not let you leave the country or get on an aeroplane. But if you sign up, they, they can put in place 
the three components that will, I think, then is, begins the human slaughterhouse. So this, if you have a digital ID and they'll say, oh, you only need it to get on an aeroplane. And then it's, uh, you also need it to enter large retail spaces like Blue Water, something like that. And then it's like, oh, you need to uh, use it when you go into a supermarket with more than three checkouts or something. You know, you can imagine the way that the slithery way yeah. becomes an everyday thing. And then eventually, eventually you'll need it in order to do anything like to before you can get cash out of a cash point assuming it still exists i bet you they'll say present your digital id and yeah they'll, they'll say valid now what transactions do you want dot even so that's one half of, that's one half of the system that uniquely identifies you uh, in a in a globally consistent uh single format database there is no such thing at the moment so when people say, oh, we've got passports, no, we've got 198 different formats of passports. This would be one format. Won't be run by your government, but by some corporation. So don't sign up for it. Uh, you do not need it. I keep saying they need you to need, they need you to have it. But in terms of central bank digital currencies um, and uh, ultimately depriving us of cash, if they're if they're prepared to ignore the wishes of of their, you know, electors, citizens, which they probably are. Yeah. We can't really stop them doing that, but we can choose not to sign up. And in fact, I've publicly said, I'm not going to sign up, even if they say, well, you'll need it to get access to your bank accounts. I'll say, I'm going to have to put them in the hands of a proxy then, because I'm not down well signing up for digital ID. I'm not yeah. doing it. I'm, I'm not really... doing it. So, Mike, both in place. We do whatever they like so don't sign up please it's the end if you do uh apart I from Twitter, maybe <laughs> but i i still think we'll win james i i do think i do think this lot are, are going to be able to murder a lot of people but i don't think they're going to take down everybody and then this golem class ai will pull their life support or something like that it's they're not going to win they're well, not yeah gonna, yeah you, you and i have have reached a similar conclusion um yeah. in the last three years just what is going on mm. is literally diabolical yeah in it in its intention yeah. and execution that nobody but but the the source of all evil could be responsible for such things and, and that therefore given that there is this source of evil that there is also uh, an opposite to that evil which yeah. is which is what which is which is our, our creator, I think so. uh, you know, who, who, who showed himself to us in the form of, 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 of Jesus. And, uh, and I was wondering when you, when you kind of reached this conclusion, was yeah. did you have a kind of a, a moment? A, a yeah. kind of, oh, no, I did. It's, I've actually recorded this. It's uh, uh, if you go to the Truth for Health Foundation, Truth F-O-R Health, Truth for Health, um, might be in the whistleblower reports, whistleblowerreports.org. Um, I recorded a 20 minute piece with, with a, uh, an American doctor who uh, believes in God. Um, it was very helpful to me when I went to the States. And I described uh, ha a series of happenings, you know, in the. I, I'm a bit distressed to remember that it's actually, it wasn't until the summer of 2021. I think, you know, long before then I'd worked out something so bad that I was using the word evil was going on. But I don't think I'd really brought all the pieces together. And in fact, if anything, I think I was holding them apart. Because when you allow them to come together in front of you, you can't deny anymore that it's not, this isn't just bad or really bad. It's like, 
logarithmic scales. You know, someone has taken, has used a lot of thought to design something that will just cause massive pain, suffering, lasting harm, and death in billions of people. I mean, that this isn't just a bit of a bit of a wheeze to make a bit of money. Someone thought very carefully how they could hurt you. If they just wanted to install a digital ID, they could have injected you with medical saline, right? It would be no worse, no worse. And um, looking at statistical trickery, uh, our, our good friend whose name escapes me right now, but the London Queen Mary guy, he does, he's very uh, good. Norman Fenton. Norman, Professor Norman Fenton. Uh, he is explained by just not not including people, not classifying them as vaccinated, I think until two weeks, or was it three weeks, two or three weeks after injection. Even if you injected people with saline and then classified them that way, I think he showed you'd get something like two thirds vaccine efficacy, and then it would fade away because it's just yeah. a displacement. So if they just wanted to, uh, if they just wanted to control us in the way James and I and others have concluded, uh, especially James Roguski, who's the guy who's absolutely you know, battling to persuade people uh, to oppose what the WHO is trying to do. You, know, you come to the conclusion they, they want digital ID so that they can, uh, uh, so that they can then uh, make you get vaccines by telling you there's a pandemic. If they just wanted control, they didn't need to do any bad thing. They didn't need to murder you. So, you know, there, there's no getting away from it. It's not an imagination. It's not a stretch. Uh, it's not a if this, then that. It's absolutely true that by forcing your body to make non-self-protein, you will produce illness, maiming, and death. I don't know what percentage. It will depend on the dose and its persistence. But that's what you would expect, and that's what's happened. Um, I, I want to hear about your conversion moment. Your, your, your... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. So, uh, yeah. So when I was a little boy, I think I, uh, well, maybe I just inherited. No, my parents weren't religious. Um, I liked going to church. So I sang in a church choir voluntarily for about five years from about six to 11 till we left the village. I liked that stuff. And I used to mumble the prayers and I took comfort from the Psalms and so on. Some great Psalms. Uh, I know you're an avid reader of them, um, yeah. uh, but during my adulthood, I think I didn't really think about it one way or another. Um, strangely enough, uh, after what's happened to me, my wife mentioned that, oh, I've always been aware of the creator. And I said, oh, really? You didn't, you didn't tell me this. She said, I did, and you never paid any attention. <laughs> so she told me, she said, I've always felt the presence of God. Do you know, my mum said there's something similar yeah. to me. My my mum has never been obviously like that. She just... No. Isn't that, there you go. So, no, no, my wife said, she said, I've always known it. During during good times, I'm grateful, and during difficult times, he comforts me. And I thought, Christ, I didn't notice. And so I did tell you, but you just sort of rolled your eyes. You know, it's, I probably did. Uh, forgive me. So, yeah. Um, so I was having a tough time, I think. And I probably went through the same logic that you did, which is that this is so evil, this is so bad, it must classify off the scale of good and bad, and it's a different scale, good and evil. It's like they're not on the same, they're not, the, they're not, it's not just further down the same scale, is it? Good and bad are choices, like when you buy products or your tastes of eating food, but good versus evil is like being in the dark versus the light. It's like wishing harm on others versus wanting the best for them. It's, it's a completely different scale. Um, 
So, uh, yeah, so I came to the conclusion that there was so much evil, there must be a counterbalancing good, or the world would have like spiraled into destruction a long time ago. And it kind of made me think again about my childhood. I, I was searching out various bits of music that I remembered had been a, a comfort uh, and other music. I like a lot of music. Um, and I remember that, that so this is what happened. Uh, on three occasions in a row, I was woken at maybe two o'clock or three o'clock in the morning, bolt upright. And I remember feeling the presence of evil around me. You know, something, I'd open my eyes and it's like something at the far end of the room was evil. Uh, and I got up, walk around for, for an hour or so, have a decaf, listen to some music, go back to bed. And so, not, but on the third, on the third night, I remember I was looking out of the back window as a full moon, and then suddenly, uh, you know, all of the sort of intellectual clues that I'd been working on all came together as, as if like the opposite of an explosion, you know, everything coming together into sort of super dense. And in that moment, I realized we face literally a sort of diabolical, you know, satanic threat. And in the same moment, I found I, there were no voices, but I felt comfort. I felt strengthened. I think I think I've called out. You know, God help me, and and I <clears throat> and I remember I, I I felt something calm, calming, and uh, and good flowing into me, and uh, yeah, I think I'd ask for, I think I'd ask for resilience or something like that or endurance, and and that's what I got. That was it, really. Um, it was it. I don't know. I haven't got the language to describe it, but I've never had an experience like that in my life and haven't had it since either. But when I've described it to other people, they've said, oh yeah, you know, God visited you. You kind of yeah. feel oh. embarrassed, but it's like, yeah, that's what happened. That is what happened. I, I, I touched this dark satanic thing and, and someone put their arms around me and said, they didn't say you're going to be all right. It was like more or less here, have some strength and get on with it more, more or less. <laughs> yes, I know. That was more or less it. It was like, you know, you've got to keep, you've got to keep speaking out. That's your job. In fact, I know it sounds a bit dramatic. Um, when I think back over my peculiar career, and we haven't got time to do it today, I've had quite a peculiar life, actually. So it's a bit weird. Uh, I, I, got, I got informally adopted as a teenager for some very peculiar reasons. So, um, yeah, and you know, I've had such a peculiar life. And then in terms of the things I studied, the interests I showed, almost all of them ended up being on point right now, 2020 onwards. It's like, wow, how the hell did that happen? And so I, I think, I'm, I hope I'm not being arrogant. I think I was probably like trained and brought to this spot to do this thing. And I think, all right, that's a privilege. That's absolutely a privilege. That's what I'm going to do. That's what I've done. The, Mike, I'm going to, I'm going to, roll it up now because i know that you can you can talk for england i, I can as well and i think, we should, I think we, should, yeah. we should do this event but i yeah. just wanted to say to you that is has been exactly the feeling i get i mean i've i've been accused of doing far too many podcasts recently it's true i, I kind of have and, and, and it's a, a displacement activity in some respects because i'm trying yeah. to write this book about, um, I've, I've been writing for some time about about my 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 journey towards yeah. towards christ or, or um you know to, discovering the truth of it and and, and yeah. there's a chapter or two which describes exactly the thing that you've described mm -hmm. uh in a different yeah. way that yeah. i was 
why was I why was I at Oxford with all these these people who've become so many of them have become key figures in the yeah. in this yeah. alleged pandemic. You know, Kate Bingham um, in my college mate, Boris Johnson, David Cameron. Well, you know, um, and before I, that, you know, I actually pitched uh, a business idea to Kate Bingham because she ran a London-based venture fund. What an amazing coincidence! In about 2012, 2014, I pitched her. She she didn't invest in me and. When, when, when we were successful, I did let her know that she'd made a mistake very, in a very friendly fashion. Uh, I briefly worked with the guy that became Sir Patrick Valance when he was just yep. named Pat Valance. Uh, I know the creature that is Pat Valance, yep. I, I know personally three out of four of the people who ran the vaccine uh, R&D in, in these four companies. I don't know the person at Moderna, but th- I personally know the three other people. It's like... You know, and then my training included mechanistic toxicity, mechanisms of toxicology. It's like that's never been useful except now. Uh, <laughs> and I had a whole career of rational drug design so that when I saw the design, I would recognize intent. Yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, that's why, you know, just amazing set of coincidences. You know, there you go. Um, Mike, I'm so glad that the AI decided that we needed to do this podcast because it did didn't it basically i told you, I told you that gollum the, Go- the web's plans what's it called the gollum i think i'm not even sure i've spelt it right i think it's g-o-l-u-m or g-o-l-o-m I think oh i see general, not like, like general, precious. general large language models g-l-l-m i see it, yes. i was thinking it's, of isn't gollum, isn't gollum a creature in uh, you Lord, know, of Lord of the Rings or something. Okay. I haven't read Lord of the Rings. So you should look that up. Um, there's a really, really interesting and scary, but maybe it's positive, program about how AI, uh, if unleashed, might turn out. And there's a couple, as I said, a couple of young men gave a one hour lecture of examples. And I, 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 in my own inexpert way, gave some examples, but they had a lot more. Oh, yeah, they had. You should definitely watch this because they pointed out. It's the, the end of democracy in a sense, because with these AI programs are so good that, they, and they demonstrated it with, I think it was three and a half seconds of listening to your voice or my voice. It can carry on speaking in context and sound just like you. And that means if we spoke to each other on the phone, you would have no way of knowing if it was actually me, unless we used a code word that the AI didn't know. And, and even if you could see me like this, video, it required about 10 seconds. Thereafter, it could simulate, do a deep fake of me speaking. So what that means is you can't even be sure the person you're seeing on the screen, even if you know is, them, is actually that person. I mean, that that's so frightening. But on the other hand, it's wonderful because it throws us back to actual corporeal interactions. You can't fake a handshake, I don't think. Uh, give someone a hug, actually see yeah. them in the room. It's a nice yeah. thing. It's it's precious. Until we've got replicants. I've forgotten replicons, how you can tell yes, replicants from humans. What 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 are the tells? I've forgotten. It's a long time since I've seen Blade Runner. I can't, I can't sure. remember, but yeah, don't, don't they call this phenomenon where humans can just tell something's wrong, even if they're not sure what it is, and it's called the uncanny valley. That's the sort of the gap between you and a, an AI. Apparently, so far, 
even the best ones, you look at them and it shocks you and some intuition tells you to be wary of this. It's, it's not what it seems. You know, you've got to have good instincts for things not being what they, what they appear to be. Otherwise, you'd be taken by predators when we used to live in the wild. So you've got good intuition for this things not being what they seem. Uh, and I think there's still some way off replicons because they're just pathetic, heavy, clumsy robots. No, I liked, um, I liked the one played by, well, not the Rutger Hauer one, but the, oh, the yeah. ones played by, they were quite fanciable. Oh, anyway, I know, yeah. yes, I know, yes, but those aren't, those aren't yet real and they may never be. The, I mean, things like, um, what's it called? The uh, Boston Dynamics, the, the, um, the, what, the company that invented Big Dog, you know, the thing that will, it can run up a, it can run up a muddy, snowy slope. Uh, slipping slightly with his four paws. Imagine if that was carrying laser sights and and, and uh, a weapon and had instructions to kill you when it when it fight when it when it when it recognizes facial recognition of Mike Eden or James in the wood, it kills you. It's like don't think that'd be frightening being chased in the dark by an intelligent armed robot that's got AI and facial recognition. I'd rather have the shellfish heart attack. I'd rather have the shellfish or be stabbed in the leg. No, I, I was going to say that um, those those robots, I think, are largely for show. And that's because they are incredibly noisy. They're full of servos and hydraulics and cables. And they're very heavy. And just like the car problem, James, if you stick a big... Uh, lithium battery in them they, they get so heavy they can, can't go very far um, and so you know I don't think it, I don't think there's any realistic likelihood of having of having human replicons that move around as well as the Boston Dynamics big dog and even that one um, it's I've, I've actually seen uh, sort of real real real-time footage and it's incredibly noisy it wouldn't be able to creep up on you it'd be going all the servos and it's so noisy you'd be able to hear it you know across four car parks um yeah and but... also, the, the only one the only way you can get enough power to drive, to drive it is if it tows a little trolley with like a diesel electric generator in it so you tow a little back end of a small motorcycle uh that's going to be a little bit subtle if you were trying to do a well i definitely run into some version of james that bond you know, Fox, bond, james bond but you've got half a honda behind <laughs> sinking of diesel fuel it's not very subtle is it so no. i don't i don't think there's any likelihood of having robots ai it's oh, well, like screen version. thanks for that that small sop of of uh, consolation yeah, Mike. Um, i've loved talking to you and yeah. um this this event if it happens We'll keep people posted. Um, yeah. I think it, I think it could be great. Let's see if we can do something before most people have their holidays in August. If we can get something in, would that, yeah, well, that would be good. Um, well, and also, um, have you got anything you wish to plug or websites? No, or no, I, I'm I'm useless and inefficient. Um, I haven't got a. I don't even have a particularly good channel. I have the Robin Minotti and Doctor Mike. Oh yeah, yeah, you do channel. Um, obviously that makes it quite difficult for people to find me, but you know, Hey, I was, never said I was any good at it. Um, so no, really, but just to, just to reinforce a couple of things. One is don't take digital ID, you know, even if it's inconvenient, it's meant to be, it's meant to be, um, it's God's way of telling you not to have it, but that you'll notice the inconvenience of not having it. Don't, don't go for convenience. That's the way you'll lose your freedom. So don't have convenience. 
And then the other one is, uh, you know, as someone who's only new to this sensation of being, a feeling that I'm in touch with something, my, my creator, I suppose, um, you, you'll know it when you're doing it. And it's look away from the dark and align yourself to the light. You, you'll know when you're doing it. And it's try to live authentically. Don't live by lies. You know, be kind to yourself and other people. Be truthful. And your, your days will go better and you will sleep better. So, and that means no longer going along with the lies of these, these pandemic nonsense. You've just, so anyone who hears me that's still in there so, or knows it's wrong but it's going along with it, you've got to stop. We will be doomed if you don't take your courage in your hand and decide and look in the mirror and say, I'm going to be authentic from tomorrow. I'm not doing this. That anymore. is such, that's, yeah. Mike, that's really good advice. Um, all that remains for me to say is thanks so much, you lovely viewers and listeners. <laughs> I really appreciate it. I appreciate it even more when you do things like buy me a coffee. I love it when you buy me a coffee to, to support me or when you sign up to my locals and you get, um, you know, get my podcast in advance. Same with subscribe star, Substack, um, uh, Patreon. Um, do please support me. I really appreciate it. And come to some of my events, including the one with Mike, if we can get our act together. Thanks. Thanks a lot again, Mike. It's been thanks. really great. Um, and um, yeah, see you soon. Will do. Bye -bye. Great. That was fantastic, Mike.